Welcome to Grace on the Go. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. This episode is a sermon from Sunday, October 9th, 2022, called I Have Called You by Name, Esther, given by Pastor Jonathan Dinger. The scripture passage highlighted for today's sermon comes from the book of Esther, chapter 4, verse 14. And who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. God's grace and mercy and peace are yours in Jesus Christ. Um, So there's an outline if you want to jot any notes. We're in this series on people who've been called by God. Uh, Especially it's been here in the Old Testament so far. And um, and it's interesting, they all have some clay feet. They all have, they're not not selected because of their perfection. Or um, to be honest, because of necessarily their, their righteousness. They are selected by God. And God does amazing things through them and grows their faith and challenges them to faith. And Esther's one of those, Esther's one of those too. You know, Esther is a highly disputed book. And I want to just commend it to you again. If you go home or this evening or you get a time even before bed, you you won't fall asleep. It's a a really compelling story. Literally, it takes you 30 minutes to read it. It's really just a dynamite story. Because what's happening here in Esther is, uh, is world-impacting. Uh, it it's, it's a huge empire, and Esther plays a significant role there in saving her people. But the book of Esther has been controversial forever, ever since there's a... We call the list of books in the Bible the canon of Scripture, those things which are accepted into Scripture, the Old and New Testament. And Esther has always been debated. A couple others, Revelation's been debated in the book of Jude or Hebrews, there's a few where they weren't sure of the author or they weren't sure of the, you know, they weren't sure of some things. Um, but Esther was concerned. Do you know the reason why Esther has been controversial? Why it, people said it shouldn't be there? Do you know, Cheryl? Yeah, God is not mentioned in the book. Isn't that interesting? The name of God. God is not invoked. You don't have a specific prayer to God. You don't have quotations of You don't have God. God is not specifically mentioned. Now, let me say, and and you might say, well, how can that be? Maybe it shouldn't be in there. But here's the thing. The fingerprints of God are everywhere. Everywhere. And I'll I'll talk to you about it here in a a minute. But what's a comparison? And so I'm going to mention the Harry Potter series. Please don't send me nasty emails, okay? Uh, But they're fascinating stories. Very, very popular. But when you watch the first movie or the first book... It's really interesting because Harry doesn't know anything about this, you know, Hogwarts or this Wizarding World or anything. And so who do they call the bad guy? He who must not be named, right? It's interesting. So for a while in the book, it's like Harry's going around going, who is this we're talking about? He who must not be named. Lord Voldemort is the bad guy. You can't even, he's so bad, you can't even speak his name, right? So, and yet... The impact and the, the, the evil of Voldemort, of this character in those stories, is evident everywhere. It's constantly at work, trying to destroy, defame, advance evil, and so forth. And so, just because a name is not mentioned doesn't mean it's not present. Uh, in the same way, I'll give you another comparison. Uh, after the second temple was destroyed, about 70 A.D., and really, the Judaism, Jews were really dispersed. Uh, they began to say, what's wrong with us? And how can we be better before God? And this began the process of Jewish people not saying God's name. Are you familiar with this? 
this is uh, true today. So amongst Orthodox and ultra-Orthodox Jews, they won't say the name of God. The name of God given to us, Pastor Chris might have mentioned it in Moses. God gave Moses his personal name to use, Yahweh. Yahweh is that name. And he gave it to Moses to use. He gave it to us to pray and to praise him and so forth. But Jews had fallen into such guilt that they said, certainly we must have you know, offended God terribly. So here's what we'll do. Here came their plan, this brilliant plan. We'll never say God's name again. Because if we don't say his name, then we can't misuse his name, right? Well, that's idiotic. We can misuse and abuse people's names all the time without ever saying it. We can hurt and damage and violate people without ever calling them out by name, we, by innuendo, in insinuation and deception. And so it was silly. We honor God's name by praising him, by praying, by giving thanks, by using God's name. And so in the same way. So Esther, that's, it's kind of, I find it a funny, a kind of a funny argument when people say, well, God's not in there and so therefore it shouldn't be in the Bible. God is everywhere in this book, in this book. So what I want to do is kind of track along. I'll tell you the story, but also give you, I think, four things I want you to consider because in each of these sermons, we've been trying to say, if God called Abraham or Moses or David or Jacob or Esther, how might he be calling to me in the same way? So it's kind of interesting for me to say God is calling Esther without God ever speaking her name. How is he calling her? So here's the story. So this is in the time, this is in the time between the kings of Israel and John the Baptist in the New Testament. This is in between that time. It's a time of exile. And what had happened was the northern kingdom, Israel had gone into civil war. The ten tribes in the north were destroyed by the Assyrians. And the way they dealt with defeated countries is they took all the citizens and fanned them out in their population, made them intermarry, and we don't have any idea about those ten tribes, no matter what anybody tells you. We have no idea where those ten tribes are. Just don't know. They're lost to us. And God had prophesied that, by the way. He had said that. And then, so what was left was Judah, kingdom of Ju Judah. And so Judah lasted a little while longer, but eventually the Babylonians defeated them and destroyed the temple. Big deal. And they were hauled off to Babylon. So Babylon was the conquering king. But the next kingdom that took over Babylon is this one, the Persians. And their king is Xerxes. Starts with an X, right? So Xerxes. And so he's the king of a... And people, we often don't know this in Western civilization. It was one of the most massive kingdoms in world history. It extended from India, some contend even China, all the way to Africa all the way through northern Africa, that kingdom. And so it covered the Holy Land and Iraq, Iran, parts of Russia, Turkey, all, you know, Egypt, all of these places, India, Pakistan, Afghanistan, all those that we call today massive, massive uh, um, kingdom. So the Jews, here's the interesting thing. By this time, King Cyrus of Persia had sent some Jews back to Jerusalem. So they were destined to be there for 70 years in exile. The temple was destroyed by Babylon, and then they were in exile. And after 70 years, God would return them. Well, here's the crazy thing. They didn't all return. We don't know why. We don't know why. Some of it may have been that they, only a certain amount were allowed to return. That seems kind of likely because you don't want your enemies to kind of regroup and rebel against you. So you limit the amount. But we don't know that. 
Because here's Mordecai and this orphan girl, Esther. Esther is, it's a little bit hazy in the Hebrew. He's either cousin or uncle, but he adopts Esther, Mordecai. And Mordecai is devout. He's a devout Jew. And we know that the whole synagogue system developed there while they were in exile. Because they didn't have the temple. They had to become a place to learn and worship. But they couldn't make sacrifices and things like that. So, some didn't go back. And now, so we don't know quite what that means. Does that mean they got real comfortable where they were living? And they had kind of built businesses and maybe intermarried a little bit. Now they've got relatives or maybe they had a business that was successful. And God had said in Jeremiah, when you're in exile, build houses and get married and make a life. Because if, you, if you're successful, it'll bless the communities that you're in. That was God's command to them in Jeremiah. Don't act like revolutionaries while you're away. Live your lives. So we don't know. Had they given into the culture? Maybe, maybe not. But certainly we know that God had them there to accomplish something they could not foresee. I want you to know this, number one. You may be in exile. That's point number one, if you don't mind, Ty. Called into exile. It seems funny. I almost felt funny saying this at the first service and when I wrote it. Because America has always felt, I, I, you know, like when we were in Germany, we came home, ah, landed in America, even though it was Boston and we had to spend the night there and I was so mad. But, but it was awesome to land in America. It just felt great. And I knew that when we lived in Japan, every time we came, it just felt so great, felt home, and it still does. Thank God. But sometimes, culturally, it sometimes is a little harder now. Sometimes I almost feel a little bit in exile that the things that we hold to and cling to as God's truth and his promise and his word sometimes are a little countercultural, going against the flow, going, going a little hard. And sometimes people dismiss Christians like us, or if you believe the Bible to be true, they kind of dismiss us without ever even talking to us. So you, who knows? We may be kind of called into exile, but God had a purpose that Esther nor Mordecai could foresee. God may be calling you in this time in a way that you cannot foresee. Amen? Do you get that? You may not be able to see it. We like to know and we want to plan, don't we? We like to plan that all out. But God may very well have a purpose just like Esther. Now, Esther could not have imagined, could she, that she was going to actually save a whole race of people. That she was going to save the race of the Jews, prevent them from genocide. That's what happens. But called into exile. That's what had happened. They were in exile during this time. You know, it's funny. I didn't even mention this at 830, but like my parents were depression era. Any of you have parents or grandparents that you can remember that and how they were? They never threw away anything. Like when my dad passed away, I found three shoeboxes full of paper clips. Shoeboxes. Shoeboxes. You know, rubber bands that were disintegrating. I mean, every scrap piece of paper that was blank and had no writing on it. I mean, things like that. You know, garbage can sack full of hotel soaps. Because in the Depression, you learned some things. Now I'm, I'm, now I'm going to honor that generation. They learned some things, didn't they? They learned that sometimes it doesn't come easy. And sometimes you've got to prepare for the worst. And when you're unprepared for the worst, you might really, you might really lose it all. Or to be reckless... To, to surround your family, to have your family be strong. A whole bunch of things, faith communities. There were some things they learned in exile. 
that Depression era was almost like being in exile in your own country. So there's a thing like that. Second thing. So that's the first thing I want you to know. God may be calling you in exile. You may be feeling that way that you don't even know. You may not be sure what he may be calling you to do. Second thing is this. So here's what happens. So there they are in exile. And here's how the story goes. So King Xerxes has a beautiful, beautiful wife. Her name is Queen Vashti. And so this is pagan culture. He has a great big blowout, gets drunk as a skunk. And in his drunken stupor, he calls out and says, bring my beautiful wife in here. I want to show her off in front of everybody. So when Queen Vashti gets the word, she's in a party too, probably also a little tipsy. And when she gets the command from the husband, what do you think she says? She says, I ain't doing that. I ain't a piece of meat to be shown in front of everybody. So she says, no, this infuriates the king and he divorces her immediately and exiles her essentially. You know why? Because he goes to his counselors and says, what do I do? My wife refused me. And she, they say to him, king, you need to exile her because if she defies you, this will make every wife in the whole kingdom defy their husbands. Seriously, that is the reason. I think some of these dudes that were counseling him were having some trouble at home, if you ask me. That's what I'm telling you. So that was the deal. So he exiles her. So he has to find a new wife. And here is the preferred method, beauty pageant. That's what I would do. Yeah, right. So anyways, as a beauty pageant, right? So all the young, most beautiful virgins in the, in the country. Now, again, we don't know if Mordecai and Esther saw an opportunity for advancement or for a, a more comfortable life because they don't tell anyone that she's Jewish. Throughout human history, that has been a dangerous move to tell people that you're Jewish Put your life at risk in throughout many, many eras of Judaism. And so it's a secret. They're a minority population. She's an orphan girl. She's been adopted into this family. Um, Mordecai has been a faithful servant of the king. In fact, this comes into play later, he saved the king from an assassination attempt and never got thanked for it, right? So you guys, I should have you guys do this because you have a daughter named, I'm embarrassing her. There she is. Because that's Hadassah. And that's actually, sorry, you're very sweet. That's, but that's her Hebrew name, right? Hadassah. Hadassah. Esther. Such a great story. You should be very proud of that name. And so Esther, uh, so Esther enters this beauty pageant. And she ends up being selected by the king. Um, and, and there's some weird stuff that goes on in here, right? There's a little bit of weird stuff. So here's the thing. Esther is sometimes, uh, you know, by moral standards and stuff, a little bit compromised here and there because the demands of, right? The, the, the king got to have a trial run, forgive me, but that was kind of the deal. And so he selects her for her beauty, for her grace, for, her, for many, many reasons. But she becomes the queen of Persia, this Jewish woman, orphan girl who's in exile. So here's point number two for you. She's been called into the world. That's the world, capital W, in that kingdom. Power mad, narcissistic king, advisors who are idiots around him, deposed wife, treats women, right? These women were treated like property. She enters into the world. Here's the thing. I'm, this is kind of the word I wanted to give you from this. We should be slow to criticize people today, slow to judge. 
We, we live in a tough time right now. I was telling my Bible class, there was an era, and I'm, I'm old enough to remember it. When I was in my 20s, if you were a faithful Christian and a leader in the Christian community, you were invited into things in the culture. You were welcomed. Your voice was welcomed. It was positive towards Christians. Then there came an era of about 30 years, beginning in the 90s, up to not about maybe 10 years ago, six, 10 years ago. And it was neutral about Christianity. It was kind of like, well, yeah, you can just don't offend us. But it's okay. Do what you do, but just don't offend us. Now, if you walk into the public square and you simply say you're a Christian, or, or worse, you're a Bible-believing Christian, you're now opposed from the start, out of hand. Now, it's not as much in Pocatello, but trust me, I did work, in, I, I had ministry in Seattle and Portland, and it was happening before. And so it's a challenging time. So I, I would tell people, don't you think God is still calling Christians to be faithful in all of those communities? Don't you think? Because there's a trend sometimes now to, to sequester ourselves from the world or pull ourselves out. And I think Jesus' words in the gospel are powerful. We are not to acquiesce to the world, correct? Not to be able to say, right? As Isaiah says, woe to those who call evil good. We don't call evil good. We also don't have to carry around a baseball bat and bash people in the head with it, right? Or, and so... I think God is calling Christians to be faithful in all, every community in this world and certainly in our nation. So we have to be very cautious. Don't be quick. Don't be slow. Be slow to judge when you say, oh, those people have just given into the culture. Those people have just acquiesced to the culture. You could probably have made that accusation of Esther, couldn't you? You probably could have. Or Mordecai. You're gaming the system or you're giving in or you're not telling them you're Jewish. That's not faithful. You should stand up for the truth. And if they did, that genocide... And it's interesting, though. Mordecai does say this. God's still in charge. The sovereignty of God is evident here. Because he says, even if you don't stand up for this horrible plot, and I'll tell you about it in a second, deliverance will come for the Jews in some way. Right? Still, the name of God's not mentioned. But deliverance will come another way. So I'm telling us to be patient and slow, to judge too quickly. To allow people to be who God has called them to be in that saying. Now again, don't, don't misread me. We don't call evil good. Right? We don't acquiesce on truth. But if God, does, if God pulls all those Christians out, how will they hear? How will they know? In fact, Paul says that. How will they ever hear if we just sequester ourselves in little enclaves of communities with our walls around us? So we are called to walk from these walls straight into the world who needs to hear the love of Christ, right? Winsomely and boldly. So the third thing is this. So here's the thing. So has this, has this wedding. So now she's the queen of Persia. And then along comes this guy. His name is Haman. And Haman's the bad dude. He's the bad dude. And he hates Jews. Very anti-Semitic. And he hates Mordecai because Mordecai, Esther's uncle, cousin, who's adopted her, refuses to bow down. Haman is like vice president. He's like second to the king. And when he comes along, he's ordered everyone to bow down to him when he walks through the city. And Mordecai won't do it because he's Jewish, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, and you will have no other gods before me. So he doesn't bow down. We only bow down to God, so he won't bow down. Well, that just hacks him off. So he begins plotting and all this. Anyway, long story short, 
plots and comes up with a decree from the king that all Jews will be killed throughout the kingdom. Now you think about that. That's like maybe from the borders of China and India all the way to Morocco, all the way across northern Africa, all the way down through Egypt, Ethiopia, and north to Russia. I mean, that's what we're talking about. Every Jew. And the king says, you bet. Esther gets word of this and Mordecai gets word of this. And Mordecai comes to Esther and he says, you've got to go to bat for us. You've got to talk to the king. And she's like, they don't even know I'm Jewish. And here's her thing. You heard it in the reading. If the, here was the law. If you showed up uninvited to the king, you were dead. Unless the king took his golden scepter and said, you, you I accept to come talk to me. That was the rule. You showed up uninvited. Now here's the cool thing. What a difference of our king. What a difference of our king. Here's some grace and some gospel for you. Our king is always inviting us, longing for us to be present, inviting us to come, giving us his name to use. What a difference. And so Esther is an advocate for that God. So she says to Mordecai, if I show up and he doesn't ask me to come, I'm toast. Right? I am done. If I perish, I perish. I'll do it. But I'm perishing. So she asks everyone to fast, pray for me, I'm going to go in there and do it. So in she goes, and, and thank God, Xerxes is like, oh, Esther, my favorite, come on in. So he lets her in, and then she begins the advocacy, plans a party, kind of sets Haman up with his pride and arrogance, sets him up, and he kind of jumps, steps his foot in it and asks for something to happen, and he ends up having to bow down to Mordecai. And, so, and then Esther, at a second event, says to the king, because he says, you still haven't asked for what I would give you. I will give you everything up to even half of my kingdom. That's what he says. And she says, there's a plot against my people. I'm Jewish. There's a plot against them that all of them will be killed. Who's the architect of this? And she says, it's Haman. So Haman is dead. He gets hanged on the gallows he himself built. And the Jews are allowed to fight back. They're given weapons, and so they're able to fight back. The nation is preserved. The Jews are preserved in all of... And that's how you get this party of Purim. So that's how you get it. And so what's so interesting about it is Mordecai says to her, because here's my third point. If you're called and you're, not, you're unexpected, you're un, not certain, and you're still called into this world, so that how can they hear unless they hear from us? Their thirdly is... They're also called through the wise and the godly. Mordecai was a godly and wise counselor to Esther. And she, he says very frankly to her, I know you're scared. I know that you, if you go talk to the king, your life may be in danger. But who knows that it's not for just a time like this. Chris did a great little children's message at the first one with some videos of dads, you know, being, catching babies, you know, grabbing their legs as they're about to fall off the porch or, you know, as they're flying down the hill, you know, on a sled, you know, and dads are at the right place at the right time. It was pretty cool. And so that's what Mordecai says. I guess my question to you would be, as we're being called, do you have wise and godly voices speaking to you? And are you seeking those out? If not, seek it out. Don't just rely on your own personal interpretation of Scripture. Don't just say, well, this is my wise and godly counsel. Of course it is. Duh. But who's your Mordecai, right? Mordecai, too, had the word of God. 
sharing its promises with Esther, reminding her of God's faithfulness and so forth. Who's your wise and godly counsel? Who's your Mordecai? And then the last one is this. Also, please know, even though God is not mentioned once in this book, we are called to do God's work. How can it be? How can it be when all the circumstances are aligned against them? I'll tell you a story about Corey Tenboom. Um, she, she and her family rescued hundreds and hundreds of Jews who were escaping through Holland, and they had a little room called the Hiding Place, and they were caught, sent to concentration camp, Ravensbrück. And Corey and her sister Betsy both were sent there. And Betsy was much not as healthy as Corey, and Betsy eventually dies in the concentration camp. But Corey always admired her, her sister Betsy, who was so faithful and so gentle and just so full of faith. Corey was hating all their captors and hating everyone and, and being angry, and understandably so, understandably. But Betsy was one who was always looking for the good. And what's interesting is, one time as they were in this concentration camp, and they're stacked eight high in this women's dormitory, bed bugs, fleas, disgusting, you know, open sewage, no food, sickness, dysentery, everything. <laughs> And then the horrible work and the treatment by the guards and all of that. And Corey said to Betsy in disgust once, how can God be present here in this deep place? It can't get any deeper. And her comment to Corey was, there is no place so deep that God's love is not deeper still. And so you may be called an exile and called into the world. Know it's God's work. There is no place so deep that God cannot be present there. There is no place that Jesus Christ did not go that he might rescue you. So we see at hand God's grace using people like Mordecai and Esther. We don't know if they had acquiesced to the culture. God still chose to use them. We see God's sovereignty, that God was, was in control at all times, and God's purpose and grace was being accomplished. But we also see that God was at work even when he may have seemed very, very far away. And that, my friends, is true for each one of us as well. You may be praying and wondering if God is listening. It may seem as if God is far away and your circumstances make that so. But please know this. There were times when we were very far from God. There were times when we were very far from God. And yet he was never far from us. And always heard our voice. To his praise and glory, we give thanks to God through Jesus Christ. Amen. If you have any questions or comments, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org and make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go.